Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Dirty Dog Dryland Podcast. My name is Jamie Perry, and I am your host. I have been involved with sled dogs for 25 years, and most of that time has included canicross, bike chores, scootering, and rig teams in recreational and competitive arenas. My hope for this podcast is to introduce people to others in this aspect of dog-powered sports, follow some racing, learn about training, new equipment, and share stories from the trail. With that, the first episode of the Dirty Dog Dryland podcast welcomes Robert Forto, co-owner and managing member of Mushing.com, founder of First Paw Media, and longtime musher. I am looking forward to doing this with you, Jamie. Thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time. So as I said, this is the Dirty Dog Dryland podcast. And so one of the things that I want to focus on is people who have been instrumental in bringing uh, the dryland aspect of mushing to various parts of the country, people learning about it, helping people learn about it, and sharing their stories and their experiences. So I'm very excited, Robert, to ask you a little bit about your experiences doing dryland mushing. I'm excited to share our uh, our entrance into dryland, if you will, up here in Alaska. It was a, a long time coming, but I'm glad it is here now. Yes, um, that's one of the reasons I'm excited to to talk to you a little bit is because usually when we think about mushing in Alaska, we think about the Iditarod or Onac or um, just lots of snow and sleds, not scooters, bikes, and rigs. So you've been an active member of our mushing community across the country for some time, so a lot of people do know you. But for those of us who might be new to dryland mushing or new to the podcast, could you give us a brief introduction into how you got into mushing? Yes. So my name is Robert Forto. As Jamie said, I am the co-owner of Mushing Magazine. My wife, Michelle, and I just purchased that later this winter, and that's an exciting adventure for us. We're looking forward to seeing what we can do with that and mushing.com and all of the assets that we have to really promote this sport like it should be done around the world. I got involved with dog mushing way back in 1994 when I picked up a couple of Siberians from an obedience breeder down in Georgia, and I went down to visit her. Visit her. I was only I don't know, 21, 22 years old, something like that. And uh, we went into her kennel and she had an old Seiko cart, sort of a recumbent type cart. And she hooked up a couple of dogs and she said, would you like to go for a ride? And I said, oh yeah, let's do it. And we took off through the woods there and in the, uh, the mountains of Georgia. And I was absolutely hooked. I think it was a great selling point on her part because I came home with not one, but two Siberian Huskies, Rutger and Reich, and they were the foundation of my early kennel and my early days mushing. And I did that for many years uh, up in uh, uh, Minnesota area in that uh, upper Midwest. I did a lot of racing up there before we moved to Colorado. And then we did a little bit of mid-distance, some sprint mushing, a lot of mushing with my kids and really introduced them to the sport. And in 2010, we packed up the U-Haul and moved to Alaska to chase that crazy Iditarod dream and uh, still chasing it. I have not ran the Iditarod yet. I always tell people that the oldest rookie was in his 70s. So I am in my early 50s now. So I have a couple of decades before I'm the oldest rookie. So I think I'm pretty comfortable where I'm at right now. 
Uh, we have 36 sled dogs down in the kennel. Uh, the name of our kennel is Team Aneke, named after one of our old lead dogs from way back in the day. And boy, I tell you what, Jamie, at the time of recording, we have the most snow, I believe, on record here in the Anchorage area. I think we have about 110, 120 inches on the ground. So that's about 10 feet of snow, and it's still January. That's incredibly impressive because here in central Wisconsin, we have mud and all of our races have been canceled. So I got a little giggle out of your introduction into mushing, something that most people probably don't realize, especially uh, getting into things with Siberian Huskies. Your first time behind working dogs was by dryland. It was, as a matter of fact, that, that, and I don't even know if it was called dryland back then. I know it definitely was not like it is today. And, you know, back then people just had those carts and they sort of tooled around the trails and stuff, but my goodness, it is not like it is today with world champions and all that so, sort of stuff. Yeah. It's uh it's quite a bit different, but it's still kind of cool to think that we were doing those things really not that long ago and how much it has changed. So did you expect that to be a part of your future life in mushing to go back to the dryland type of thing? You know, when we were in Colorado, we did a lot of dryland training because the, the climate is not what people think of Colorado. They think of ski resorts and tons of snow and all that. Well, it, it is not. We, uh, we lived in what they call the banana belt of Colorado. So we had to actually pack up all of our dogs and drive them all the way down to Denver and back up to the other side of the mountain before we could find snow. So we did all of our training on an old Risden type rig or cart or something like that. It's a three-wheeled rig. It's heavy as all get out. It has wheelbarrow tires on it. And that's what we used for training. And I, I used to hook up 12 dogs to that thing and take off down the, down the streets of the neighborhood and, and uh, really just, really just, run wild with those guys and i can tell you what that was an experience trying to hook up all those dogs on on a cart that had really no brakes at all that's uh pretty brave sir <laughs> <laughs> so um since those days you've done a fair bit of racing um like you said you've done some sprint mid-distance have some goals to do distance racing and even some expedition things you've done where does dryland fit today is that something that you guys include in your program Right now, dryland for us is really just a fun event, getting the dogs out there in the late fall, uh, you know, early winter here. You never know what's going to happen here when we have our dryland events in, in early October. But one of the things that we do, Jamie, is we teach classes at the two local universities, at University of Alaska Anchorage and Alaska Pacific University. And one of the things that I tell my students every year is if you're interested in doing more with sled dogs, other than the class that you took, we would love for you to come out and run one of our teams in the dryland events. And I don't know how many times students over the years have took us up on that. They took our course in the winter, of course, and then, you know, they're still biting at the bit all those months later to still hang out with the dogs. So we we will pay their entry fees and have the dogs trained up for them and ready to go. And they show up at the track on those weekends in September and October. And we just have a good time with it. And I think the key to that 
is we're constantly introducing people to the sport, whether it is dry land or snow sports or whatever. I think that's truly how this sport is going to grow on either side, snow or dry land. And yeah. I, I think that we're doing a pretty good job of it. It, it definitely looks like it. And thank you. That rolled right into my next question. You're on the board for the two EAC Dog Meshers Association. And that is that, that dry land circuit that you guys put on. Could you share a little bit about that circuit, how it came to be and what type of turnout you get and what the thoughts are there? Uh, I think we started in 2014. I'm not exactly sure the year, but it was the first year we ever thought about doing a dry land race up here. And of course, a lot of us living up here, we had never really thought about that sort of thing. Like I said, a lot of people up here just use that for training. It was sort of that go-between from summer activities with your dogs. You know, they're laying around in the yard, getting fat and, you know, hanging out in the summer. And then we spend a couple of weeks on uh, the carts or the scooters or the bikes or whatever, just enough time so we can build up some stamina to hook them up to the ATVs. Well, uh, the board got together and said, man, we really should do what they're doing down in the lower 48 and host a dry land event up here. And we got it started and it took off like wildfire. I remember those first early years we would have, at least from our standards, of course, not like the standards down where you're at, where a hundred people can enter or whatever, but everybody who was everybody was just chomping at the bit to sign up for these dryland races. And it was very successful. Uh, we were running them on the track there, as you mentioned at Chugiak, some of the best trails, I think in the world, they have an awesome trail system there. And we, we, you know, we learned as we went and uh, of course uh, the rest is history, as they say. It's very, very cool. And you see growth in those events year after year? Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I think that we're steady. I don't think that there is a tremendous amount of growth or a decline because, you know, the mushing community is relatively small regardless, whether you're down in your area or up here. Uh, it's a very concentrated type community. What's different from here and there is folks down there, you know, they can live in Georgia and drive up to Wisconsin, or they can live in Colorado and move and uh, travel to Michigan or whatever to run a race. Up here, it's, you know, many, many days of driving or flying your dogs up with all those logistics. And a lot of times that just isn't feasible to have a really big field. So we're only dealing with the limited amount of mushers that we have. Yeah. I mean, that, that does make sense. And particularly because your winter could start far before ours, it's hard to uh, focus on something like dryland racing as a sole thing. Oh yeah. Yes. Uh, I don't think we've ever had it as dryland racing. It's either uh, raining and pure mud, or we've even had snow a few times. Our championship, uh, our two day championship uh, is the first weekend in October. And I think not this year, but last year, we had a decent amount of snow come down on Friday before that Saturday race. So we were still out there doing it with bikes and, and uh, scooters and all of that, but it made for a, a slippery couple of miles for sure. I think a lot of competitors down here in the lower 48 would say that sounds just like home. <laughs> you know, one thing I have noticed with dry land, especially up here, is we just roll with the punches. You know, we don't 
we don't worry about uh you know of course everybody's competitive but it's not ultra competitive if the you know if the trail isn't perfect because it's wet or muddy or or snowy or whatever i think more than anything of course people want to win and 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 take the purse but i think more than anything it's just people glad to get out and and hang out with other mushers and run their dogs and all that stuff before winter kicks in i do find uh down here that because we do it earlier in the year people tend to camp and hang out a lot more after the race is over than they do during snow races so it's definitely a great social opportunity to kind of kick off the season and get back into the groove of hanging out with your friends yeah we need that up here more than anything as you know if you've been around sprint mushing long enough typically you run your dogs put them in the truck and head home then come back to the track the next day. And I think that that's what's sorely missing in this community is having that camaraderie that uh, that that can be available. Uh, that's a big difference between mid-distance and long-distance mushing. Of course, we almost always have banquets and all of that sort of stuff because the race is much longer. So you have people hanging out for much longer time and they tend to hang out and camp or whatever Whereas in sprint mushing, as soon as you're done, you're ready to pack up and move on. Right. Yeah, that does. That is something I, I appreciate about the dry land events is that the social opportunity of it. It's a lot of fun. So this is going to be a little bit shorter since this is my first time. I want to end all of my podcasts with something that I think we all kind of get intrigued about. The question is going to be, since we do this for the dogs, I don't think any of us would be... Uh, involved in dry land, long distance, mid distance, sprint mushing, if it weren't for the dogs. And we've all been very privileged to work with some phenomenal dogs. Could you tell us a little bit about one of your special dogs? Like who maybe defined your ideal, pushed you to be better or kept you in the sport? Man, I've had so many good dogs over the years and, you know, we, we could definitely talk forever, but I'll choose uh, one that I'm thinking about right now, and we just did our last class uh, with the University of Alaska just the other day. And a lot of times the students are drawn towards one dog, and her name is Ruby. She is an Alaskan Husky. She comes from Brenda Mackey's kennel. If uh, you do not know who she is, that is Lance Mackey, Lance Mackey's niece. So when when uh, they were growing up, they they hung out together and mushed dogs, obviously. So she comes from those lines. We had her, I don't know, three or four, maybe even five years now. She's been around for a long time, but she came five years. My, my wife, Michelle, is, is holding up her hand. Uh, she came to us five years ago, and she came to us pregnant. And that was a known factor when we purchased her. And I remember a friend of mine was working in the kennel with us at the time. Her name was Miranda. And she said, whoa, Ruby is the million dollar dog because we paid quite a bit of money for her because she was obviously from those lines and, and had pretty much a stellar pedigree, at least on that on the distance side. So long story short, she ended up having puppies. And that, those dogs turned into what we call the rock and roller crew. So she has... Grohl, Sully, uh, Cobain, Hendrix, Jazz, and who am I missing, Michelle? Jagger. Jagger. We are missing Jagger. So we have 
six dogs out of one purchase. And those guys, Jamie, are truly the foundation of the second wave of our kennel up here. And we are really excited to have those guys as part of what we do here. But Ruby is a lover in the kennel. Every time a student comes up or a visitor in our kennel comes up, she is the one that uh, has to have all the attention. She has to have all the hugs. Of course, she's in, she's front and center in the yard. So she's, uh, she's easily approachable, if you will. And she's just an awesome dog all around. And, and I can't thank Brenda and, and her crew enough for being able to entrust us with those dogs and really let them shine at what we do. And, and I think it's what truly makes this sport excellent is having good relationships with breeders and other mushers. And that's how, again, that's how the sport can grow is when we share our resources, if you will. That she sounds like a phenomenal dog. Very cool. Thank you for, for telling us about her. So Jamie, you are up to great things. I know you and I have been talking back and forth for several months. I think of the first time we talked about this podcast was when you put on your event there in Wisconsin in the summer and here we are, you're recording your first episode. I am excited to have you as part of our Mushing podcast family over on First Paul Media and on mushing.com. And I'm excited to see what you can bring to the table, what kind of guests you can have, and uh, really looking forward to it. And I want to wish you the best, and I think you'll do great at it. Thank you. I can't um, tell you and Michelle how much I appreciate your patience and mentoring me. I'm very excited to bring this out and hopefully share some awesome stories, talk about some racing equipment. Uh, we've got some really cool people lined up to share about their experiences with dryland mushing, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun for everybody. Looking forward to it for sure. <laughs>